Well, last week uh, I talked about the creation and how God, lo, he created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. And then I talked about uh, the law that was handed down to Moses on Exodus 20, and how in Numbers 15 there were some pretty extreme consequences for a person who was found gathering wood on the Sabbath. I talked about the moving from the letter of the law to the spirit of the law, and then we looked at how Jesus and his disciples worked, essentially breaking the law of working on the Sabbath, and yet he was still sinless. So I think it's important, before we understand rest, is that we need to understand work. So we're going to go back and look at Genesis chapter 2. Um, Because God had placed Adam and Eve in the garden to care for the garden, to have dominion over this world. There was fruit, there was vegetables, there was green grass, there was a mist that came onto the land every day. It was all good. And then God created man. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and care for it. God created Adam to work it, to have, now I know what you guys are thinking, all right, there's a song, all right, was it? Um, to have dominion over his creation. For those of you who didn't get it, it's okay. For those of you who did get it, it was not lost on you, and I appreciate it. Okay, verse 18, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. God created all kinds of living creatures And then halfway through verse 20, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Adam now had a suitable helpmate with him. To care for his garden and the creation God had placed on earth. Working was a good thing. And what does Satan like to do with something good? He likes to corrupt it into something bad. He twists God's words and says, did God really say you're going to die? And he twists God's words, and he has Eve eat from the fruit of a tree that she was not supposed to eat from, and also Adam ate from it. And from that point, there is a consequence, which we read about now in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from, all, from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since it you were taken. From dust you are, and from dust you will return. God kicked them out of the garden. They were no longer allowed to go back to it. Now, some people 
would think that the curse of Adam and Eve's sin, at least from the man's perspective, right, was that God created work. And, and that somehow Adam and Eve were just in this paradise, this garden, and they had little helper monkeys around giving them pina coladas, and they're just having their kicking back with their feet up in a hammock, and it was all good, just naked there hanging out, and it was all good. But God created Adam and Eve to work the garden. Work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. But what does Satan like to do with something that's good? He likes to make it bad. Prior to the curse, prior to the curse, the garden took work, but it wasn't as an extensive amount of work that was causing this toil, this sweat that was going to be pouring off of their heads from this day forward. Instead of producing delicious fruit and veg- uh, vegetables and things like that, there is also going to be the production of thistles and thorns that are going to have to be removed as well. And since God created humans with the intention, the DNA of work, this is how God formed us to work. It's a good thing to work. And what does Satan like to do with something that's good? He likes to make it into something bad. And so one of those things is that we want to avoid work. Sometimes we think to ourselves that if we're working hard, we must be doing something wrong. That we're supposed to be living the good life, kicking our feet up and not having to do anything. No heavy lifting at all. It's all going to be done for us. And we get into this lazy or this fantasy to think that one day we're not going to have to work at all. In fact, in our retirement, in our society especially, we're kind of told, hey, once you hit retirement age, you don't have to lift a finger anymore. It's great. Your time is now your own. And Lynn is leading uh, our crescendo group. And there is a third calling in your life for those who are retired that retirement is not a biblical thing. It's something that we've made up and that God has purpose in our lives. God still is going to work in your lives no matter how old you are. We were created for a good purpose. We're always to bring glory and honor to God. Now you've heard the proverb, idle hands are a devil's playground or Idle hands are a devil's tools. Anybody heard that before? No? Okay. Three, one, four. Okay, now that hands are starting to go up. You're looking around. You've all heard it. There it is. You've all heard it. And it's this idea that if you are given your, the, your own time in, in an idleness, not doing anything, that Satan is going to take that time in idleness and you're going to get into mischief. You're going to do things that are bad, Right? And it's, it's from Proverbs. It's not in the Bible. It's not. I looked. In fact, I did research on it. I'm like, I'm sure I've heard this before. It's got to be in the Bible. It sounds so biblical. It's not. Unless you have the New Living Translation, it's the only translation that has that. If you read the NIV, KGV, it doesn't even sound close to that. And it's in Proverbs uh, 16, 27 through 29 for all of those of you who are going to go back and reference my comments and point out my falsehoods. But here we go. This is what the devil does. He takes something that is good and he corrupts it. Either on one extreme you have the work towards laziness or idleness and then you have now the other extreme which is overwork, overfunctioning. 
The curse now is that there might be an inclination towards overwork or towards laziness. When I am meeting with people who are at their last moments of life or uh, their last days of life, they come and they say, Pastor, and I'm like, hey, you know, reflecting on your life, what do you wish that you would have had more of? And they all say, oh, Pastor, I wish I could have had more time to work. I wish that I could have gotten more done in the field. I wish I could have done more in the office. And I wish I could have gotten more accomplished. No one ever says that. They're always regretful, like, oh, I wish I would have spent more time with my family and my friends. I wish I would have taken time to appreciate the things that God has given to me. No one's ever said that. God set apart one day for us as a gift. It's a gift. He wants us to experience rest. Not just rest on one day, but experiencing rest throughout our days. Even before God made this into a law in Exodus chapter 20, he was working out this promise and working out this expectation that humans needed to take a break each day. And so when the Hebrew people left Egypt in the Exodus and they were wandering around in the wilderness, there is no food, there is no water, the people are completely dependent on God and God creates manna for them to eat, to collect. Now this isn't actually manna, it's actually snow on, uh, on grass, but it does look like manna because manna does exist. If you want to go look it up on Google, you can, all right? But he provides manna for the people to collect and to gather. He gives them this food from heaven because the people have no idea where it's coming from. And so in Exodus chapter 16, verses 15 through 26, Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much and some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who had gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of this until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and it began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. Two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy day to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. And it did not stink. It did not have maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. 
You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. God provided exactly what the people needed, and it was just enough to get them through. In fact, it was enough to get them through the day of rest as well. God provided. He said, if I'm going to command you to obey me by taking rest, I'm going to give you the resources needed to be able to experience this rest as well. But just like the Israelites today, we too are just like them. We don't trust God either. And so we find out what happens in verse 27. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why in the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. I think that sometimes we forget the importance of rest. I think I forget sometimes the importance of rest and how crucial it is to our own health and our own experience with the goodness of God to have rest in our lives. If I don't take a day of rest each week, I get cranky. I get frustrated. I get aggravated at all the littler things that when I have a day of rest don't bother me as much. I have this idea that if I don't continuously work, there's going to be more work for me or something's going to fall to the wayside. But you know what? Things have a way of working themselves out. Things always have a way of working them out. And in Exodus chapter 16, we hear how God does provide, but it takes trust. And that's the theme of this sermon. Now, this is only halfway. I'm not, that's not the closing, okay? I'm going to keep going on that. You're welcome. But it is about trust. It's all about trust. Will we trust God enough that he will provide us exactly what we need? Are we going to be like the Israelites and keep searching out, trying to find sustenance? Or are we going to rely that God has given us enough? Are we going to give him our schedules or not? This is why God and Moses were so upset at the people. It wasn't just the fact that they were being disobedient. It's that their hearts were not in tune with what God wanted. Their hearts were being taken away. Their hearts had not experienced that trust, that love, that dependence that God wanted for them. It was about a lack of trust. They looked towards themselves rather than to God. So it's sort of like those of us who have developed a spiritual practice of tithing. You know, when we first started to learn to give back to God, we looked at our budgets and said, oh, you know, I don't know how we can possibly give any money uh, back to the church or to God, you know, like or to these other ministries. My budget is so tight. There's no extra money. But you know what? You step out in faith, and wouldn't you know God comes through and he gives us exactly what we need in our sacrifice because we're doing it out of obedience. And I believe that God can and will do the same thing for us if we're choosing to give that time to him. He's going to refresh it. So one of the ways that I practice this 
is through exercise. So when I was deployed, I had a chance, I could work out essentially as much as I wanted, as long as I wanted, anytime during the day, basically, right? Obviously don't do that anymore. Um, but so my practice was, is that I'm not going to do any physical exercising on Sunday. I would go and do my chapel service in the morning, and then I would do another chapel service in the evening. And I didn't work out. In fact, I just relaxed. I read or I kicked my feet up, maybe watched a little bit of TV, and I just hung out and had conversations with people, and it was super relaxing. And I could have chose even to go out at night when my group of uh, colleagues would go out on a walk at night. Every night at seven o'clock, we'd walk for an hour. And I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to do that. Even though it's life-giving, for me, it's still exercise, and I want to be able to just rest. And you know what I noticed is that come Monday, my workouts were actually better. The rest of the week, I felt better because my body had a chance to reset, to relax. This last uh, couple of Sundays ago for Easter, I was preparing uh, kind of an elaborate meal, you know, with a roast and cheesy potatoes and, you know, those Rhodes uh, rolls and everything like that. Not a commercial, but um, it was great. And I had prepped pretty much everything the night before, so all I had to do in the morning was just put it in the oven, and it was going to be fine. In fact, I even put together a meat and cheese and fruit tray and some crackers and put it in the refrigerator, and all we had to do when we came home from church on Easter was just pull it out and eat. The only thing I had to really do for Easter was just pull things out of the oven, and it was great. It freed up so much time and stress in me because I had prepared the day before I got to experience rest. But it's the idea of trust that I think a lot of us struggle with. Is God really going to provide everything that we're going to need? Or are we going to have to try to rely on ourselves once again? I think that sometimes I have the capacity to handle everything that's coming my way. And I think some of us, too, think that we can handle everything and anything that comes our way. And we realize we're going to reach a breaking point. That the trust of giving things up and recognizing our own capacity, we recognize that we need rest, that we need time to get away is important. So now let's look at the New Testament, a New, not the New Testament, a New Testament passage in Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 30 through 34. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But when many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So just prior to this, Jesus had sent the disciples out to kind of go and, and kind of practice the things that he had been teaching them. They had gone out. They were healing people. They were casting out demons, anointing people with oil. They were doing God's work. They were excited. They were doing so much that they didn't even have a chance to eat because of all the needs. And they were coming back. They were telling Jesus all the things that they had done. And Jesus is like, you guys need to get away. Get on a boat. You need to go and rest now. He saw it in them. 
And so they're heading out on a boat. And what happens almost immediately after we want to go and try to retreat? We get interrupted. There were people coming from the towns trying to stop them, saying, hey, we're needing things. Sound familiar to any of your lives? Jesus is no different Well, Jesus is completely different. Let me say this again, right? It was no different from what we're experiencing than what Jesus was experiencing 2,000 years ago. The busyness and the interruptions. More stuff tends to pile up. So what does Jesus do? He, He recognizes the need. He meets the need and and performs a miracle, feeding 5,000 people. And then look what happens in verse 45 through 46. Immediately then Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida. When he dismissed the crowd after leaving them, he went up to the mountainside to pray. He was like, guys, I got this. Go on your boat. I know that you need to get out of here. I'll, I'll dismiss the crowds. And then he goes And he dismisses himself to the mountainside to pray. You know, it's interesting if you read all of Mark chapter 6, and if you are doing the life group questions uh, from the paper that was in the back of the sanctuary or through your church app, shameful plug, uh, that we have our life group questions on, I'm going to encourage all of you to read Mark chapter 6. Because after Jesus sends them out, what happens to the disciples? There's a huge windstorm, and it's almost going to capsize them, and they're freaking out. And Jesus comes out, on, walks on the water, calms down the wind... And it's all good, and they get to the other side, and they're immediately bombarded once again with people that see them. They're they're, they're carrying all their sick people. Hey, heal these people. It's almost like they don't even have a chance to take a break, but they do, and they made time for it. They made space for it. If they had not rested before that moment, how would they have encountered people on the other side when they got there? Jesus was no stranger to what we are dealing with on earth today. He knows it. He knows the burden and he knows our tendencies to overwork, which will lead to burnout. And that's why he wants us to understand what the Sabbath really means. What is the Sabbath? What does it really mean to take a Sabbath? If you come back in the next couple of Sundays, three Sundays, we're going to talk about this. Jesus, as God, limited himself, and he understood what it was to be human. He understood the human limitations in our bodies of how we need to rest. Could he have kept healing people and feeding people and never stopped? Sure, he probably could have. He's God. But he chose to limit himself and his power to experience what it was to be human. He showed us that although he is the Messiah, the chosen one, he rested. He told his disciples to rest. And if he's choosing to rest and he's telling his disciples to rest, then we too need to adopt a better posture of rest. Will things pop up? Yes. Of course. There's always going to be demands placed on us at any given time. 
Anytime we try to go off to a solitary place to just recharge, reconnect, there's always an interruption. Ask any parent here, especially a mother, when they try to go away to the bathroom for three minutes. It's like, you know, it's almost immediate. How do we get away from these kids? It's like, it's, how do they know that I'm in the bathroom right now? It happens. I want to have you raise your hand if that's happened to you. But if you're a kid and you do that. <laughs> but if we allow ourselves to have a posture where people have nonstop access to us, it will lead to burnout. Kids are always going to find an interruption. Okay, There is always going to be a text message that is going to seem important and urgent that's going to want your attention to get back to them. It's always going to happen. Sometimes things can wait and sometimes things can't wait. But the important thing is, is that when those interruptions come, it doesn't stop us from pursuing and actually taking some rest. You know, your child comes in, their arm's missing. You probably want to address that. If the child uh, broke a fingernail, you could probably leave it alone for a while. It'll be okay. We know you're sad, but mommy and daddy need a break, okay? Any spiritual discipline that we choose to adopt, we are going to be met with pushback. Anyone developing a new spiritual practice, a spiritual habit, you will be surprised how much pushback there is in your life. Go ahead. Try it next week or this week. Put aside 24 hours. Hey, I'm going to actually try to do a 24-hour Sabbath of no work. And watch how many interruptions and, and, and things start happening during that time. It takes practice. That's why it's a spiritual practice. That's why it's a spiritual discipline, that it's something that we continually try. Now, I'm not saying that you have to take a 24-hour Sabbath, that that is what Jesus is commanding us to do, because more of that's coming in the next two or three sermons that you're going to come back to, and we will talk about it. But as we continue to go through this series, I want to encourage each and every one of you to develop and start creating margin in your life so that you can experience rest, so that you can start experiencing a day and time where you can experience renewal, refreshment from God, because the Sabbath was created for you, and it is a gift that he wants you to experience. 